Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier than, than done, right? OpenFit is bringing you something new that makes it even easier to never miss a sweat session. Lose the commute to the gym and let the workouts come to you. OpenFit takes all of the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. Everyone's bodies are different, and OpenFit gets that, which is why it's personalized to your needs with custom, tailored, original content. OpenFit classes are led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. Sculpt your body with Andrea Rogers, founder of the worldwide sensation Extend Bar, or get in crazy good shape with Hunter McIntyre, named by Sports Illustrated one of the top fittest athletes. These trainers know how to get you results quick. Forget all the complexity and stress around getting fit and just press play and work out on your schedule. 600 Seconds with celebrity trainer Devin Wiggins packs the fat-burning, muscle-building, and body-sculpting benefits of much longer sessions into a fraction of that time. View it on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, and Roku. Lose up to 15 pounds in just 30 days. Flatten your abs, shape your body, and look and feel great. OpenFit has changed the way I work out, and with my code DIVORCED, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use my code DIVORCE and start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. Right now, during the OpenFit 30-Day Challenge, my listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit. You can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days when you text DIVORCE, D-I-V-O-R-C-E, to 303030. You will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information, totally free. Again, just text DIVORCE to 303030. Standard message and data rates may apply. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning Welcome to the Divorce Sucks Podcast. I'm Laura Wasser, your host. I'm Johnny Rains, the producer, writer, director, casting director, booking, and on-air talent that sits next to the host. You do all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And humble the boot. Exactly. We've <laughs> really moved on from plucky sidekick. <laughs> anyway, this is the Sunny Side Up Report, where Johnny and I pull things from the headlines and report them to you regarding marriage, divorce, and everything in between. And moving on to your next chapter. So we have from Brides.com yes. by Jen Glanz, five brides on what it felt like planning a second wedding after a nasty divorce. I like this one. One of them said, it feels horrible. Didn't matter that I met my second husband six years after divorcing my terrible first husband. Our wedding felt horrible. 
well, maybe I have a good idea for idea for your Laurel, 45. <laughs> Don't get married. Exactly. All right. Another one said, I'm going all out. My first wedding was just like my first marriage. A joke. We got married at the courthouse with just 15 friends and family members. We had no money. And honestly, we rushed into the marriage. We got divorced less than a year later. And it was so stressful because we didn't have any money. So we were fighting over the little we had because we both needed all we could get. Fast forward 10 years later, I'm about to marry the best guy ever who has a good job and a lot of cash in the bank. He's paying for me to have my dream wedding and I'm going all out, giving myself what I deserve, a wedding that makes me feel like a princess. Rochelle B. 37. That's nice. I like this one. The second time around is all rainbows and butterflies. (laughs) What's there to worry about? My divorce ended after six warlike months battling over everything from our kids to our couch. When I entered my second marriage, I felt like I discovered how to frolic in the honeymoon-like state of mind for an extended amount of time. Oh, and who doesn't like frolicking? I'd still say... Why do you need to do it more than once? But before again, before oh. we move on, so the, the best one, back to your Laurel W45, um, she gives this sage advice. If I ever have to do this a third time, I'd skip the wedding and sign the marriage license and privacy. There you go. Um, this is from Yahoo. I think it came from somewhere else first by Elise Soleil. Woman, 47, celebrates her divorce with a sexy photo shoot. Boy, boy. Um and this kind of went a bit viral because I saw it a few times. My boyfriend sent it to me because he likes to keep me up to date on things and <laughs> contribute. But Mary Lawls of Gray Court, South Carolina, has been separated from her husband for the last three years. But their divorce wasn't official until March 18th. While the 47-year-old is dating another man, she still wanted to somehow observe the end of her 13-year marriage. I thought about it for a few months, and I said to my brother's wife, who is a photographer, we should do a divorce diva photo shoot, hmm. Lolis tells uh, Yahoo lifestyle. So you can see these pictures online. She's got one of her walking down a long road. She's wearing bike shorts. A lot of people didn't like that. She looked Those on are Pinterest coming back, you know. for I know for visual aids, but she wasn't comfortable with the trendy trash the dress photos that brides have symbolically showed destroying their white wedding gowns. I wasn't angry. I was excited. She explains after compiling photos of women in empowering poses, she asked friends on Facebook for wardrobes donations. So people loaned her clothes. Um, Well, the one I'm looking at right now is her actually stepping on a picture of her and her her husband getting married. So I don't know. Anyway, she drank red wine from a handmade goblet with the words finally divorced. Boy, bye. Hmm. Anyway, interesting ritual. I like it. But, you know, again, this is all for people to learn and get ideas about what you're going through at the end of a marriage. Well, let's talk about the start of a marriage or at least maybe a vow renewal. Vow renewal. Renewal, nothing to do with vowels. Uh, Demi Moore went to Bruce Willis's vow renewal. Uh, it was in Turks and Caicos, I believe. And uh, it's kind of interesting because, as we've heard in the tabloids, you know, Demi Moore, when she was with Ashton Kutcher, would hang out with uh, her ex, Bruce Willis, and uh, the M- Emma Hemmings, who's Bruce Willis's second wife. Um, they're all, they were all one big happy family. Now, I guess Ashton's kicked to the curb a little bit. But uh, Demi is still hanging out with Bruce and was at the uh, vow renewal. That was from uh, Refinery29 by Catherine Lindsay. Yes, yes. Some other in-divorce in uh, celebrity news. Apparently, Nick Cage filed for annulment Uh-oh. four days after marrying his fourth wife, Erica Ko- Koiki? Or oh, maybe Ko- that's better. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, Tim McGovern, the weekend editor of Hollywood Life, told us this. They had a marriage license application on March 23rd, and on March 27th, he asked for an annulment. Breaking news, America. And in fact, this was on Jimmy Kimmel last night when he had the Kardashians on. Um, live from Las Vegas. I don't know if you happened to catch I, I that did episode. Not catch that, this no. was a headline on that show. The Nick Cage thing. Yeah. The okay. Nick, yeah. All right. Oh, and by the way, let me ask you a question. So, what is the difference between an annulment and a divorce? Because it says he oh. has filed for an annulment right, from his fourth question. wife. So, yeah. an annulment basically means that there never was a marriage. It did not happen. You are actually erasing the history of the marriage. I actually had my marriage annulled. But it's just so complicated to explain that to people. Right. Especially when your photo hangs in the wedding office at the Bel Air Hotel for about six years <laughs> after the wedding. Um, but it just means that there was no marriage that took place. And they're not as easy to get as they used to be. Right. I think judicial officers are like, well, you did this. You have to have a grounds for it. Grounds could be that the person wasn't of age. If they said that they were 18 and they weren't. Um, if you actually were not competent to get married. And some people use an inebriation, being drunk as that. But again, that's not a good enough reason. Judges will say, well, then get divorced. Um, And if there was fraud. A lot of people think if you were married for less than a year or if you didn't consummate the marriage, but that's just not the case. There has to be a certain grounds for it. Different states have different things. Fraud could be one like, oh, he said he was a man, but he was actually a woman, and I didn't realize that when I was getting married. That's pretty fraudulent. Yeah. So that's the annulment, and I don't know if his annulment was granted or not, but I guess we'll probably find out at some point. Yeah. Moving on, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, another uh, TV star uh, married at first sight, Courtney Hendricks and Jason Carrion split. People qualify as TV stars. Wow. They're from season one. From Nick Cage to the married at first sight. They were on the premiere season of Lifetime's hit show, Married at First Sight. Got it. Yeah. How long were they married? Five years. Five years. Um, They also appeared on. The uh, sequel to uh, Married at First Sight. They're married at first sight the first year. <sighs> Never seen that show. <laughs> okay. And here's one that I like. Uh, Florida woman allegedly stabbed husband, <laughs> then swiped on dating app as he lay dying. Unbelievable. Steve Helling, People Magazine. After stabbing her husband to death, this woman called the police saying her husband might have died of a heart attack and tried to clean up the buddy, bloody mess with bleach. But she was swiping right and left. Well, she says, uh, this is really, it's, I mean, verbatim. This is one of the reasons why when I did reality casting, I loved Florida so much. Florida? Absolutely. Um, We had an, this is what she says to the cops. We had an altercation and he stabbed himself. And I ran into the bathroom, she said, sniffling. And I tried to help him. I saw him lying in blood. When the dispatcher asked her to clarify what killed Michael, she says, a heart attack or the stabbing. Probably the stabbing triggered it. I guess I don't know. <laughs> a judge ordered that Danielle be held without bond. She's pleaded not Aww. guilty. I'm wondering if anybody like swiped on her while that was happening. This could really be the beginning of a new. And did you? Did, I mean, does it say here in this People magazine article that she pled not guilty? Yeah. Huh. I think. Huh. That, I mean, maybe he ran into her knife. Maybe. Yeah. Doubt it. Hmm. Finally. Yes. Four rules for a happy marriage, according to couples who've been together for over 20 years. And as you listeners know, we will often have people on the show to tell us about how their relationships have evolved, move on, strengthened as time went on. And so these are some of the four rules that we have heard from people. Oh, by the way, this was in uh, 
The Zoe Report yes. by Angela Malero. And, and it's got a great picture of Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick, yes. uh, who are one of the, sort of those super couples that have managed to stay together for many, many years. By the way, I flew for spring break with my kids over the weekend, and we watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, oh, which is a great movie. Really, really holds up after all these years. It was <laughs> Did the so, kids like it? They loved it. And, you know, the scene where he's on the float going down to Chicago oh, yes. the, and singing Dunkashen and then Twist and Shout. I'll be the same. You're crazy! <laughs> what do you think Ferris is going to do? It's going to be a track with Venus. <laughs> well, we sang Dankeshan all week, and they danced to it all week. That's really adorable. Amazing. All right, so the rules. Again, yeah. this is not from Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. Their pictures are just in it, but one would imagine they probably have done a few of these things. Rule one, communicate and listen. Rule two, acknowledge goodness. I feel like we really often forget about and being appreciative and, 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 and grateful for the good things as opposed to just picking out the annoying things of which alleged, uh, acknowledged there, there are many. Plenty. Yes, yes. <laughs> Even with just a marriage of a work relationship. <laughs> but it is nice to acknowledge goodness. Mm, if there is any. Prioritize bonding time. Like, make a date night. Make a sex night. Actually make that important because sometimes we're so busy getting through the week with kids and work and whatever else that we don't make that a priority and it's important. And finally, and the way we will end the Sunny Side Up report today, one thing that long-lasting couples seem to really be able to do a great deal of is laugh. <laughs> Life and relationships can get serious, so keeping things light whenever you can is crucial. The advice I would give is to have fun with it. Don't take life so seriously to the point where it interferes with your happiness. Keep the joy and laughter in your home. Know that it's okay to peel back those layers and allow yourself to remain the person that your spouse fell in love with. Don't let life circumstances weigh you down so much that it takes away your spirit. If you can laugh at your spouse, you should do so. And if that means that you have to set little traps Not when they're the naked, though. So that he or she will trip, <laughs> by all means, <laughs> please do so. Next up, Dr. Danielle Delaney, who's going to help us with finding our light and finding the ability to laugh again after tragedy. Divorce for many is traumatic, but the legal process doesn't have to be so difficult. That's why we created It's Over Easy, which can help you and your soon-to-be ex divide your assets and debts, figure out spousal support and child support, create a co-parenting schedule if you have children, and ultimately create the deal that you're going to file with the court that lays out the details of your dissolution and settlement. It's Over Easy is also the home of the Index, which anyone can use to find an array of services to support you throughout the divorce process and afterwards, including counseling. We've all heard the adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, today on Divorce Sucks, we're going to put that phrase to the test by focusing on what it really takes to heal from trauma and move on to a better tomorrow. My guest today is featured on the index, and she's a frequent contributor to the It's Over Easy Insights blog. She's certified in crisis intervention counseling, specializing in addiction and recovery, rape crisis and spiritual counseling, and she's the author of Expect Delays, How to Reclaim Your Life and Soul After Trauma. She has expertise in the areas of adults molested as children, as well as LGBTQ issues, drug-assisted rape, and working with survivors of domestic violence. She has the distinction of being the youngest and only woman of color to own a sober companioning business in the U.S. We are honored to have you here, Dr. Danielle Delaney. Welcome to Divorce Sucks. The honor is mine. 
So, listeners, what you don't know is that I have known Danielle for a long time, and my, what do you call yourself? My plucky sidekick, Johnny <laughs> Rains, has known her for even longer. Johnny and I have known each other since high school. Johnny and Danielle have known each other since junior high. Yes. So, we all are L.A. kids, <laughs> and Danielle grew up here in Los Angeles in the 80s, the daughter of a doctor. Um, tell us a little bit about your growing up and some of the pop culture things that we, the three of us, all experienced and that were important to you? Well, we know that uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was filmed at my high school at Birmingham High. Some of it. And, of course, the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Oh, my God. Oh, my Galleria. I know. I try to turn down the Valley Girl when I'm doing public (laughs) speaking, but it's always in there. It's It's always in in there. there. (laughs) But it was was entertaining and interesting. Growing up, it was the Fresh Princess of Bel-Air. Yes. Just (laughs) below Mulholland Drive on Kelneva, and my father's still in that house. And it was uh, it was interesting. We, it was us, the Jacksons, the Simpsons, and uh, that was about it as far as black families in the seventies and Encino. Well, there was the oh, the Encino because we had we had our black families right, in, right. in Beverly Hills too. Beverly Hills more yes. so, but Encino and Bel Air, it was we were scattered. Right, we were sparse. And and so, what was the junior high that you guys went to together? We went to Sepulveda Magnet. Yes, it was like an honors student thing, but it was busing, oh, so boy. we didn't live in that area. So right. we had to go all the way deeper into the valley. It's like in, from the hills. It, is it in Northridge? It's or? in. It's in. I don't even know it's, anymore. It's like as far north in the valley as you can get before you get to like Oxnard. I think yeah, it's, it's pretty far. deep. It's far. So it was a it was a schlep, and we weren't used to it. But it was so much fun. It was fun. It was fun. And what's that one called now? It was Sepulveda Junior High. Junior now high it's now? What is it? Sepulveda Middle School. Oh, it's Middle, middle School. school. Yeah. Got okay. it. Right, right. So you graduated from high school. Then what happened? Graduated from Birmingham, went mm-hmm. to UCLA, and got into the acting modeling side of things. Right. And I loved that, but my life changed pretty sharply. I was assaulted. I was kidnapped and assaulted in my late 30s Ugh. at a red carpet party by a group of men in a limousine. So I was I was really badly beaten and thrown from the car and raped and went through a lot. So... It was a sharp turn from my acting and modeling and in front of the camera stuff. And after that, it just didn't fit me anymore. Right. It just right. kind of, it wasn't really where my heart was anymore. And I'd gone through treatment and didn't like the way they were doing it and thought I could do it better. And that's how I kind of segued into my career now. So tell us about that experience, if you don't mind. Oh, like, I don't well, mind. you're at a red carpet yeah, party because yeah. we just finished Oscar week here. Right. And so, all right, right. so you're Very at one of these parties, mm-hmm. modeling, acting, mm-hmm. looking fab. Uh-huh. And I'm in, you know, just ready for the whole de- the whole night. Red carpet event. It was a friend's birthday party. My friend who was on Baywatch, um, Angelica, the redhead. Right. Okay. And it's all in the book as well. The first chapter is called Demolition in my book. It's about my life being demolished. And I really, really just didn't expect that. Of course, I was just leaving the event and, you know, maybe four or five vodka tonics in admittedly, and it was the wrong limousine. So when you see all those cars lined up, you you see 20 limousines and they look the same. I thought it was her driver. I got in and they took me. Oh my God. It was, it was a rough night. They had me for, I'd say four to five hours and I begged for my life. And it explains how I knew to do that and what I did. And then what the healing process was like, because it was emotional as well as physical injury, oh, yeah. as well as just the trauma in itself of that happening. And what did what did they want? What I mean, was this just for sport? Did they take I anything from know. you? They did. Well, they did fraud on all of my accounts. Okay. To add insult to injury. We didn't know that for months. I had to rebuild my whole life <sighs> and and learning to walk again. I mean, I was thrown out of a car going about 50 miles an hour. 
So, and my face, it, there's pictures I in there. I saw the pictures you know, in the book. You know. You look better so, now. <laughs> thank you so much. And I didn't know if I would. I mean, believe me, that was part of it, yeah. was looking in the mirror and screaming and thinking, why is my oh. eyelid hanging down there? And can is this going to ever be? And you, you know, didn't know these people. This was didn't just. Didn't know them. Didn't know them. Um, a group of men speaking Farsi, which I was familiar with some of the language because I have a lot of friends that right. speak Farsi. And um, I was just looking for a word I could recognize and just angry. And they may have been waiting to do this to someone. I, I don't know. I mean, the detectives, we went over it and over it. Who was driving? How would they let that go on and hear me screaming in the back? Right. They tried to pull red light cameras to find, you know, evidence. It, it doesn't work like it does on TV. There's right. no no Benson, no Stabler. Right. You know, right. nobody's, nobody's hugging you and making it better. So it's a... Uh, it's a harsh process to go through as well as the, the event itself. And so you went through a rehabilitation process physically and emotionally mm-hmm. and thought, this mm-hmm. is, I got to do this. This is, yeah. I have to, I can do this better than how it's being done. Yes. And I feel what these victims feel. Yes. yes. And is the book's out now. Yes. Yes. Expect delays. Yes. Got, I mean, we'll go through a little bit more of that at the end. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how you help victims heal. Well, I work a lot with victims of violent crime, but I also work with addiction and recovery. And the way those overlap is that everyone who has an addiction or a chemical dependency, it's never about what it's about. Right. So it's usually about something below the surface. For me, you know, I kept the fridge stocked with VU for <laughs> for months because I didn't want to think right. about what happened. And I had to move to my mother's real heal and recover there. And uh, I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to move in with her. I didn't want to do any of that. But uh, people who are addicted to a substance, there's usually more going on. So right. I studied adults molested as children and victims of violent crime and bullying and just so many different things lead to people's chemical dependencies. Sure. So um, To just numb or self-medicate. Yeah, yeah. That's what everybody wants to do. No one wants to be in their head dealing with their demons. So... What I do is trot them out in the light of day and work with people one-on-one. I work with families as well as individuals, and it's uh, sometimes it's uh, conflict resolution within a family, and right. sometimes it's you know, one-on-one and people's issues, personal issues. So it's uh, I think I do it better than a lot of people did for me. It took me 12 therapists before I found the one that was a fit for me wow. for PTSD, and I'm open about that because I want people to know you, it's hit and miss. You know, right. You're going to find some that don't work well for you. And for some, I think life experience is no substitute for, um, I mean, or book learning is no experience for life, life substitute. Right. And I mean, life experience, pardon me. And um, and it's it's something that, you know, I've studied all of this, but to live it is a whole other thing. Well, and they say everything happens for a reason. I mean, that's right? a, it ends justifies the means. Tell us a little bit about PTSD because I hear about mm-hmm. it a lot and I hear about it in my practice a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes I'm like, lady, not being able to use the credit card at Spago <laughs> is not PTSD. But at the uh. same time, everything's relative. Give us, because we hear about it in terms of military and mm-hmm. then we hear about it kind of just tossed around. But this mm-hmm. is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Tell us about you know what qualifies and then how to actually help people identify it. Okay. Well, I didn't know I had PTSD. Right. It took someone mentioning it to me. I had a desk job. I was an actress, but I also had a day job at A.G. Edwards at a financial place. And I couldn't sleep at night. So that's a huge sign. Right. Um, fear of everything. You know, you're just jumpy. You're, it's hypervigilance and an easy startle response. And it can be from, you know, a bad marriage. People have emotional abuse or, mm-hmm. or physical abuse or what have you in a marriage as well. 
and um, and can be from someone's childhood, just experiences that are cumulative. But I really thought it was only a, a combat thing, a military right, thing. So right. when people said I had PTSD, I was like, "What are you talking about? I, you know, that's not what this is." And uh, so those are some some explanations of what it is. But also, rape trauma syndrome is different than PTSD. It's similar, okay. but it's cyclical. So it's triggered by the time of year. It's triggered by Certain reminders, smells, songs. smells, songs. For me, it was the sound of car doors locking for a while. And, you know, you got to get over that. Right. But the limousine, you know, you get it goes, it's right. like a loud lock. Right. So for a while, it was anything like that. And um, and people with PTSD, they're always startled that I know this, and it might resonate with someone listening. The mail and the supermarket; those are two huge things that when people have it. You really can't do those things. Like why? People. Well, the mail, I called it my pile of denial. It right. never stops. You know, the mail comes. That's why people go postal. Right. But the mail <laughs> just keeps coming. So I had a pile. You don't really want to address things that are going on because your day-to-day life, just breathing is enough. Just dealing with what you're, what you're handling inside. Wow. And then the supermarket. Well, I don't want to do that. So nobody wants to do that. Yeah. But that's, I mean, all the noises. It's the cash registers. It's the overhead announcements. It's people with carts. Babies crying. Over. Babies crying. And just, you know, it's every everything coming out of nowhere at once. So when I say that to a patient, when I'm like, are you having trouble with your mail in the supermarket? They look at me like I'm psychic. Wow. And like, because I lived it. Right. Because that's not in any books. It's just you experience it. Right. You know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You guys listening? Those are the good. Mm-hmm. Um, what's in, what is the fight, flight, freeze reactions? Well... I know this is on your website. Right, but that's okay. I can tell you. It's um, fight or flight, which we're mostly, m- most of us are familiar with, right. which is your response to stress or to, to uh, violence right. is flight, which you run, right. or you fight, which is you're fighting back, and then there's freeze, which people forget about and that's feel guilty. That's the deer in the headlights. Yeah, the deer in the headlights. And people feel really guilty about that when they think, well, why didn't I scream? Why didn't I do anything? And I did scream. I was doing everything. So I have no guilt about freezing. But I really fought for my life. The amount of DNA under my nails, the whole thing. Did they ever find these guys? No. 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 Mm-mm. I have to just hope karma will. Yeah. And that's the yeah. way I deal with it. But, uh, but yeah, so fight or flight, that's the explanation of that. And then freeze is the response that people often feel really bad about. And right. there's no reason to. It's just it's a natural biological response. And you also, I know, I know you have a sober companion uh, service. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us about that. I know that I've worked with these companies before, yes. and I've with some of my celebrity, yes. or not even celebrity clients, but clients who have addiction issues. Right. I don't know that all of our listeners know what a sober companion right. is. Will you explain for them? I will explain because people misunderstand. They think it's like a, a high end babysitter, right? And it's really not. I have to vet these people that I hire. I have to make sure they're fingerprinted and background checked and understand dual diagnosis, which is when people have co-occurring disorders and personality disorders along with addiction, right? because those all come out to play when the person's sober. right? So you have to have people who are experienced and who've worked in, in a treatment facility. But uh, what I do is I send them home. I send a companion home. Say you were in treatment. Right. Let's just pretend. Let's pretend. I like it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let's pretend. And so you come out of treatment and you're going to go right back to the same people, places, and things that you were dealing with that were causing you to use or drink or whatever. Right. You. So the thing to do is then if Johnny were my sober companion for my company, hello. I would hello, I would introduce oh my God, you. I would definitely start drinking immediately as soon as like as soon as Johnny came back. I might have like, to open. That's one of the, my triggers. Bo- actually, is just Johnny. I may have to open the bottle of champagne. You would you. both be fired. Yeah. You would both yeah. be fired would, immediately. 
You're terminated. But it's uh, it's a process of, of finding the right fit for people. I call it. It's like being Heidi Fleiss, but for addiction. Right. Because if you get the wrong fit, it's not going to work. You right. So I really have to have the right the right fit for people and partner them up, pair them up. And sometimes it's for a night. It's for an event. You know, they need to go to an art show and they don't want to be the only sober person right. there. And they know that they'll tipple into drinking right. if they are. And then other times it's for months. I've had a nurse that works for me. She's amazing. And she's been with a client for five months who's now been sober for two years because of that. Wow. So now that's what are that most is. of the sober companions people that have struggled with their own issues? So Many they kind of, of know, mm-hmm. they know the drill and they mm-hmm. know how hard it can be and can maybe talk somebody off the ledge. Yes. Yes, I have been there. Yes. I know how badly yes. you just want to slip back in, but mm-hmm. okay. So they're, they're a living example, which I think I am as well. I always say I'm living proof that you can survive anything right. and thrive and get through it more than just get through it, but really thrive and create a life for yourself again. And uh, same with addiction. So I, I do hire people who are in recovery, right. but they can be in recovery from many things. Like recovery to me, when I say people in recovery, when I write an article or something, it's not always addiction. Right. It can be an eating disorder. It can be a bad relationship, codependent relationships, divorce, so many things we have to recover from in this right. life. Now, yeah. as a sober companion, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's a different role in your office, so to mm-hmm. speak, when you're mm-hmm. counseling and doing placement or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now you're the sober companion and your guys are out there in the world with somebody at the art opening or uh-huh. wherever. How do those folks avoid crossing the line? Which line? The line between sober companion and buddy or, hey, can you just yeah. cover for me this once? I really need a drink right now and I know you're my... I mean, what happens? And and, well, and there it seems like there's a lot of gray area there. It is. It's a slippery slope. And I always tell them, you're not in trouble because I don't do the sober companioning, right. but I send people out to do it. Right. And I did do it, though, about a decade ago. So I remember what that's like. Right. And you can't be responsible for someone else's every activity. And I've had one call me and say, I had my nurse call. She said she was in the bathroom or taking a shower, and the person took off, took an Uber, went to a bar. Oy. And I said, well, you know, if they're in the car, let's call the police with the license plate. If they're not in the car, we've got to text them and can wait you, for them to come home. Can you call the police? You can, if they're driving and they're intoxicated. Oh, they're driving. If okay. they're intoxicated. Right. But if they're not intoxicated, and they're just driving their car and right. they went somewhere. So we kind of have to... Each situation's different. I've had people have guns in their home. I've had people wake the companions up in the middle of the night. I've had people who want to have a relationship with the companion. Yeah. And male, female, female, male. Some companies only fit female with female, male with male. That doesn't always work. Right. Some people, I, I like men better than women most of the time. Right. So, interesting. you know, it, it's an interesting career choice. And when people do it, I let them know, you're not in trouble if this person drinks. Right. You, you haven't failed. Them right. To. Right. So it's always harm reduction. But they do it's, have to disclose. There's no covering it up or no, sweeping it have, under the rug. Just mm-mm. this once, we have this bond no. of trust. Da, no. Da, da. no, that we breathalyze, we UA, so we know if someone's using pills or drinking or whatnot. So Got it. It's like living at a sober living, only you're at your own oh, house. Right. And right. so we do have some celebrity clientele and people who just don't want someone to know that they've got right. this problem. So speaking of celebrity clientele, I get this question a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you find, Danielle, are the differences between working with celebrities and working with us normal folk? You know, it's interesting because there's sometimes there's more of an entitlement with my high net worth individuals or my celebrities. And sometimes it's the it's something I really empathize, which is, which is that they can't 
hide their face. They right. can't just go to an AA meeting. They can't do certain things and under the you know even under cover of darkness, right. someone's going to recognize them. So um, that's kind of the difference. And even when they come to my my office to have therapy with me, I have an elevator that comes up right by my door, right. and I have concierge and security. Right. So. It can be very private. People think they're just coming over. They could just as well be a friend. Right. But I think the confidentiality, which is across the board with everyone, it's so much harder for them. It's just a lot harder for them. So I actually have a lot of empathy for that. I wouldn't want it. Are you hungry for the usual today? Or are you ready to spice things up with the new Nashville Hot Brisket from Firehouse Subs? We're kicking up our slow-smoked beef brisket with Nashville Hot Seasoning. It's topped with melted pepper jack and our sweet and tangy slaw. Served piping hot on a toasted cornbread roll. Yeah, a cornbread roll. Save time. Order your new Nashville Hot Brisket on the Firehouse Subs app today. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Come on, one more rep. You got this. Uh, Ten. There it is. Nice work, man. You're a beast. (sighs) Thanks, man. I feel better than I have in years. And I got to tell you, taking Nugenics makes a huge difference for me. Nugenics? That's the uh, testosterone booster with TV ads with Frank Thomas. The big hurt, right? Oh, yeah. This is a legit product. The key ingredient is testophen, which helps boost free testosterone levels and increase lean muscle mass. Well, it's clearly working for you. Hey, are they still giving out complimentary bottles for people to try it for themselves? Yeah, Nugenics is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance. Man, I need to get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. No problem. You just got to send them a text. Text BODY to 42424 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Nugenics samples are not available in stores, so text BODY to 42424 right now. Text B-O-D-Y to 42424. That's body to 42424. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. Now on Podcast One. Could this be a serial killer? You never think it could happen in a community like this. Cold Case Files, Season 4. The case would take several twists and turns. I mean, you're kind of, in essence, looking for a needle in a haystack. Based on the hit A&E television program. Now it starts to fit. The discovery will seal the fate of a serial killer. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. She just screams and pleads for her life. Get new episodes of Cold Case Files every Tuesday on Podcast One. I'm your host, Laura Wasser, and this is Divorce Sucks. Ending a marriage and the road that leads you to that decision can be traumatic, but it's precisely and indisputably inevitable that the more relationships there are, the more relationship dissolutions there will be. That being said, whether it's a bad breakup or something else that demolishes your life as you know it, moving on from a trauma is not an easy thing to do. This is why we invited author and crisis intervention counselor, Dr. Danielle Delaney, to join us today. She is president, founder, and CEO of Danielle Delaney Counseling, and in addition to providing intervention services, her expertise covers the fields of addiction and recovery, aftercare, and rape crisis counseling. Today, she's helping us become more familiar with the tools you can use to move on to the next chapters. So this is something that's always fascinated me, and I have had some clients that have done it, but I haven't really observed firsthand 
Tell us about an intervention. Tell us about how that works. Oh, okay. I will tell you. My method of intervention... Let's is, plan Johnny's. Let's plan Johnny's <laughs> intervention. You know, I like pretending that you're the person in the hot seat. You're the target I patient. I like that, though. <laughs> you can be target patient today, hypothetically. I like that much better than him being my sober companion. <laughs> Let me just tell you, that's a much better place for him to be. Okay, well, it? this is good because now you'll like this position you'll be in. If Johnny... If we needed to do an intervention for Johnny... You would be in charge. Say you oh. would be the one that I would call, or you would call right, me, right? And say I have this friend. I say, Houston, really we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And his name is Johnny. <laughs> his name is Johnny Rains, and he's trouble. And we would say, all right, well, what do you think? You know, when is a good time for your family to get together? Can you get a hold of his siblings, parents? Johnny, whatnot? would you freak out if like your mom came in, like people started coming in right now? Johnny, <laughs> I have something to tell you. Jeff and I have something to tell you. No more script writing for right. you. I thought I was here for a podcast, no, but it's actually it's all, yes, no, an it's intervention. All being revealed. It's an intervention. But oh I my tried. God, this makes me so happy. <laughs> make you happy? I knew you'd like that. I knew this you'd like that. This is a sick, sick joke. It's, sick it's joke. terrible. We're twisted. We twisted. Yeah, twisted. sick and twisted. All right, so so okay. I call you, and we arrange to get the, the people here. Now, right. who's qualified to be at this intervention? Well, that's a thing because sometimes families will argue. Like mm-hmm. They think it's a party. You know, like, well. If so-and-so is not invited, they're going to be really upset. And then if my cousin, I'm like, no, no, no. We need to figure out which people affect this person's life and which people who say that this is affecting them, that they're using is affecting their life. Okay. Is who's going to be able to reach him? Who's going to be able to speak to him? So sometimes they want all the wrong people there. And I have to say, I'm going to have to clear some of these people out of here. Right. And it's just, you know, I'm making cuts. How about kids? People. Kids, I try to keep children out, out. of it. Okay. And children, they can visit them later at most inpatient facilities. Yes. There's family day and all that. But this isn't time for that. Right. This, this gets ugly. Right. It can be really tough. It can be, you know, talking about all the ways that you've disappointed us, Johnny. No, but, but we try not to use you language. We use I language, right. you know. Uh. So it's I am troubled when you blah, blah, blah. But here's, here's so a question. Hmm. Let me ask you this. So we've all seen the show Intervention, Intervention. right? Mm-hmm. And that's obviously made for television. Right. It's a reality show. It's a drama, dramatic experience. And it's like it's never wrapped up in an hour like that. Yeah, well, that's right. my question. <laughs> yeah. how, how, do, how does what you do differ from what we see on that show? Well, it takes all day. Sometimes it can take all day long. And when I leave, I usually leave with them. And so it's not an extra person like it is sometimes on the show that leaves with them. I take them in myself. I check them in with a night nurse, whether it's a rehab in Malibu, Santa Barbara, Ventura, wherever. And, um, And I like to stay involved with their treatment so that then they have an aftercare doctor to see, which is me. And then since I've brought them in, I'm usually allowed to come in and see them during during treatment, too. And I hope for 90 days because that's what really makes a change. But sometimes they're in and out and they'll check out the next day. It's it's because they can't they don't have to stay in no, there. They no. So you can't like we hear about like Can I commit him? No, no. He, he has or she has to go right. of her own. Mm-hmm. OK. And if they yeah. leave, then they leave. Yeah, And that's the thing. It really has to be like a velvet touch, like an iron fist and velvet glove. You have to. Mine's invitational method that I can talk to them about what I think will benefit their life to do this and how much longer do they want to stay on this hamster wheel and just knowing because I was I've been there through that whole just you know drinking your life away and not being a normie for a while it was just self-medicating and there's usually something more going on and you get family members crying you get the person crying and then you have the person can bolt sometimes right so you have to de- you know kind of decide who's going to go after them it's not going to be me 
And then I see, I see Johnny as a real a, a bolt possibility. <laughs> Wouldn't he run? He's going to get up and go. He would yeah. run. And yeah. then I would designate that you're the one uh, to go get him. I'm wearing my shoes are too high. <laughs> Your shoes are too high. And go. He'll be back. <laughs> Neither of us can run in these shoes. Neither but of us can run. they do look good, ladies. <laughs> so, okay. And do you have relationships with, like, all of the rehabs around town and the, in the surrounding area? So you can I call do. them and see if they've got, like, a bed free for that period mm-hmm. of time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, often the calls I get for interventions are because a family has say you wanted to put Johnny in. <laughs> we keep yeah. doing this to you. You've already decided which facility you oh, think I you have. should go to. Okay. So often the facility will call me and say, could you call Laura and see if you two can figure out you know, when you can How to go. get him here. Yeah, so they have a relationship with me. And okay. then I have interventionists that work for me as well. Sometimes I can't be all places. So right. some of the interventionists are sober companions. Some are also counselors or therapists that they're just well qualified to do this work to help people into treatment and to also stay with them after. So speaking to. of qualifications, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we mm-hmm. have people, there's divorce attorneys and then there's divorce coaches mm-hmm. and then there's mm-hmm. what what kind of qualifications should listeners be looking for? Tell us yours and then say, you know, you probably have more right. than the average, but what do they at least need to have if somebody's going to hire an interventionist or a sober mm-hmm. companion or whatever else? What are do the qualifications? Do you mean for, for addiction specifically yes. or do you mean for, for addiction. any kind of therapy? I think for addiction. I think, honestly, a lot of it's going to be a vibe. It's going to be how you feel, how you connect to that okay. person. Do you feel like they're honest? And look, call their references. Ask people who wrote testimonials. Like, they're on my website. You can reach those people. Find out what their experience was. And um, I think the credentials are important. Um, KDAC, which is you know nationally certified um, for in addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like I'm a doctor of theology and divinity, so I've studied also spirituality. It's interfaith. Right. So sometimes you get a family that wants faith based some some sort of an intervention that's faith based. Like so, Beit Shuva, I think is yeah, one of yeah, those. Yeah, okay. Beit Shuva. So there's there's different ones for different types of of backgrounds and. Either way, you really want to have a good rapport with that person, and you want to make sure that they went to school somewhere. Right. But I don't poo-poo coaching and counseling, you know, any more than any as one being more qualified than the other. Right. Because some people, their life experience that they bring to it is invaluable. Sure. The fact that they know that someone's going to hide their vodka bottles in a boot, right, in a closet. And I've done that before. Like, how did you know? I'm like, well, of course that's, that's where I it did. is. It's right. in the boots. Uh-huh. Yeah, where else would you put it? It's tall. So not the short boots, but right. the tall long, boots, right. like the riding boots. Right. Those are perfect. Yes. So, you know, when you have the experience, then right. you have the expertise. So a lot of it is is being trained in it, you know, and having gone to some sort of an addiction, you know, through some courses and some schooling. But um, it varies depending on what you're looking for. If you're looking for therapy for addiction or if you're looking for a coach or counselor or companion. So clearly at some point, so you, you, you had this horrible experience. Mm-hmm. You went through the recovery from that. Mm-hmm. Then you decided to help others with it. Right. And then at some point you decided to kind of what I call go wide. Mm-hmm. So and to bring that to even more people than just your direct clients. So you were doing podcast hosting and doing some film and TV consulting. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that, Danielle, in your career. Okay. Well, when I started off getting treatment, I was going to therapy. Didn't like the way they were doing it. A support group was amazing, but it was in downtown LA before they cleaned up downtown LA. So you're by the Staples Center. Did they clean up downtown LA? But, uh, you know, more, <laughs> more than they did. There's restaurants and galleries and, you know, people right. love it. But at night, if you're a woman at a rape 
uh, crisis group and you're leaving and it's, it's a, a real Staples test, Center. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to get to your car and there's people dressed as mascots and, right. you know, it's, it's by a, a game. When you when... get raped on your yeah. way out of the rape exactly. crisis meeting, that's a total Not bummer. Not what you're yeah. looking for. Not what you're looking for. And I was kind of starting to take over. You know, I was saying, okay, you guys are going to walk two by two to your car. Well, what if there's three of us? I was like, well, then two of you drive the other one. Right. You get it right. together. But they didn't have security to drive people or to do whatever. So I started kind of telling people what to do. And then people were coming in complaining about what neighbors or friends had said to them because people are insensitive. They right. just haven't experienced it. Right. And they have little experience dealing with someone who's gone through this. So I wrote about that in the book that you have to give people you just have to give them benefit of the doubt right. that it's their limitation. You have to just kind of understand their limitations. So they say stupid things to you. So women were coming to this group and talking about it and crying. And I said, why don't we write down a list of stupid things people said to you this week so that we can talk about it right. and realize that they're doing the best they can. Your sister didn't mean to say that. Right. Or you know, your brother, your husband, whomever. But they'll say things like, well, aren't you better by now? Or, you know, whatever. Right. People and are morons. They don't understand. Yeah. People are morons. And so it's understanding that, but accepting it because it's going to go on all sure. the time. So I felt like I could do a better job of helping people do what they're doing. And I certainly wouldn't have a support group where it's scary to walk to your car right. or I'd have someone walk them. But um, I just, I went to speak at a, well, I went to listen really to a speak out event at, a, what was it, Long Beach, University of Long Beach. And so I went and I got up to speak because nobody was getting up. And I felt bad for the people who put on the event. They made T-shirts and right. cake. And I thought, somebody get up. So I got up and spoke about my experience. And afterwards, the people putting on the event said, you know, we really think that you should do this. So it started to snowball. And I, I was already, you know, I had my psych degree. Right. But I sort of segued into going to school for rape crisis and for trauma. And they teach you when you're in school for that, you better show up. It's at some hospital across a bridge in San Pedro, but you better be here. And if you get a flat tire, you better have a bicycle in your trunk. Wow. Because if you're not on time for crisis things like that, you're not right for that business. Right. And you can't miss a day or you don't get your certifications in crisis and trauma. So it's it's intense. And wow. you're holding hands of rape victims and you're really in the trenches. And then you're doing the suicide and rape hotlines and it's a lot, a lot of work for years to get that kind of licensing and certification. But knowing that you really better be there and you better show up right. and you better be present right. and understanding of what's going on. That's a huge part of it. And the podcast? The podcast was called The Real Deal with Dr. Danielle Delaney, and it was on Voice America for two years. Mm -hmm. You can still listen to the shows if you want to. Um, just Google The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. It'll come up. And it's also on my website, DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com. There's links. And I did everything from breast implant disease to body image to Lou Gossett Jr. came on to talk about his foundation, a racism foundation. Todd Bridges was on about being molested as a child actor. I oh, just wow. had all different topics. It was fun. So and we'll get to your consulting stuff in a minute on mm -hmm. TV and film. But I wanted to ask you, because we did say that you have the distinction of being one of the only women of color to have a sober companion agency. Mm -hmm. I do not know of many women or men of color that are kind of in this field. There really aren't. Why I mean, is I that? I kind of stand out like a spot. And then when I, there's a photograph of these big industry things for the addiction and recovery industry. I don't know. And I think some of it is uh, socioeconomical. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, it's just... We, I don't even have a lot of, of patients of color. I don't have a lot of Jewish patients okay. either. So, and I'm 
part everything. Right. <laughs> I'm kind of a hybrid of a lot of things. But I've noticed that. And it's it's interesting. But I think I am, as far as I know, I'm still the only woman of color and the youngest who owns a sober companioning company in the United States. And I felt like that was necessary. Just people need to relate to me that aren't the, the usual, right. usual Subse- demographic. Sub- exactly. Exactly. All right. Tell us about some of your consulting stuff, because I always think this is interesting. Like, wh- is it how we see it on TV? So you worked right. on Dexter and I you worked, worked on with Y&R, Carpenter, right? Right. I worked with Jennifer Carpenter on Dexter. She was actually my neighbor. Okay. And she knew what had happened to me because she saw my face. Right. And she saw the aftermath of what happened to me. We lived in these little cottages by the Directors Guild that are really like, quaint. So I'd sit outside and be miserable with my my champagne or whatever. So she uh, she knew what was going on. So when she booked that part, she she hired me specifically to help her show and you know to show how PTSD would present if you're living it. And I didn't know why until I saw the show and right. I realized what that character goes goes through. She's right. the, the sibling of Dexter on the show. Right. And uh, so you, you teach them. You talk to them. You teach them. So it's teaching an actor or an actress how something presents, how a, a mental condition would present. And I'm assuming that in your work, you also work with people that are victims of domestic violence. Yes. And that kind of trauma, which is ties a lot into what we do here on the show. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Tell us about how those women and men will kind of go through the different machinations of defending their abuser mm-hmm. and denial about mm-hmm. what's going on and protecting. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of it's PTSD, and that's post-traumatic stress disorder. For people that don't know what those initials stand for, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD can be syndrome. But it's uh, in domestic violence, there's that uh, like battered woman syndrome. You know what that is, and it can be men as well. Just like rape crisis can be men as well. I have male clients as well for that. But it's a uh, it's it's a vicious cycle, and people not being able to leave, and also emotionally being connected and unable to leave. So it's uh, they're they're captive in that relationship, and they're captive as a victim, and it's letting them know they can become a survivor of this and not be a statistic because we know where that can end. It's it's death. Yes. So it's important. Well, and and as we've discussed many times on the show, domestic violence is the one thing that kind of disqualifies you from using it's over easy in a lot of instances mm-hmm. because that's the that's generally couples that are not able to have an uncontested divorce if there's domestic violence going on in your relationship you really do need to reach out to the authorities to some kind of a crisis center that mm-hmm. needs to stop that's going to be the one also um, preclusion from having what we generally see at least in California as equal child custody mm-hmm. if you're beating the shit out of your spouse or your kids not so much going to be getting 50-50 custody. No, so as th- they shouldn't be. And I mean, this is a big ticket item. Um, and as we've discussed, that that kind of ability to reach out and have somebody to talk to to get you through that mm-hmm. is huge. So, Danielle, let's talk about something that's very, very in the moment. Jesse Smollett. I mean, this is somebody who evidently, allegedly staged a very violent attack on himself for his own personal and financial motivations. And I mean, I just wrote an article called The Power of the Allegation because we are seeing in family law cases a real rise in domestic violence allegations um, driven by people who are trying to achieve greater either economic or custodial uh, benefits. 
It's disgusting to be a perpetrator of domestic violence, but it's almost equally disgusting to be somebody who accuses an innocent person of domestic violence or uses their victimhood, false victimhood, to their benefit. Thoughts? Ugh, is first. I mean, if that can just speak volumes, just the ugh is so deep. I defended him to so many people who would say, what was he doing out at that hour? Because that feeds into, you know, right. rape culture. Why was she wearing that? Why was what she did wearing she expect? That? Right. And I always have to say, it's not what you drank. It's not what you wore. Believe me. I was in like a little corset. And I was, like I said, vodka tonics, the whole thing. It has nothing to do with, with right. you. You blame the perpetrator and the perpetrator only. But to blame perpetrators that weren't there or that were there but weren't or white. Getting they paid. Were, they were Nigerian, <laughs> not white, which is like the complete opposite spectrum. And, you know... It's just been really hard to watch, and it's very triggering as well. I've had clients who are triggered by it. I have to admit I was triggered by it because you've seen what I looked like. And when people would say, he didn't look that beat up, I would say, hey, you know, there's no qualifying what's right. enough of an, of an assault right. because I really was, but he was he didn't look that beat up. And so people sort of made their their decision about whether it happened or not. And I was so angry also that people were even doubting his word. Right. I thought, why? Because he's gay? Because he's black? Because he's an actor? Because why? Why are you doubting him? So I was honestly just in his corner. And now, ugh. Yeah. It's bad. And it sets back, I think, the movement. I mean, it just Every movement. Every movement. Victims of violent crime, black men, gay men, gay people, people of color, all sorts of people who are victimized and marginalized. And it's just, it's gross. Yeah. To sum up the story of Jesse Smollett, (laughs) he he accused uh, two men of, of assaulting him in the middle of the street or late at night, two in the morning in Chicago with below zero weather. And putting a noose around his neck, which is such a racially charged thing to do, terrifying, and pouring bleach on him, which when I first heard that, I thought he must have been terrified. He must have thought they were going to set him on fire. What if it was gasoline? I couldn't sleep when I heard this story. So now I'm mad that I lost sleep because I like sleep. (laughs) I lost sleep over this. And and if it's all a lie, ugh, and it's, it's looking like it. I mean, I can't really even say it's looking like it at this point. Yeah. It's just bad. Really bad. It's just bad. And, and you know, it also makes me wonder why I was so immediately in his corner. But I always well, because, am for you know a what, victim though? of violent crime. Yeah. And it, because who right would place. think? Who why? would think that somebody would? I mean, this isn't even like, oh, I'm going to get divorced and I'm worried that I won't get enough support or I'm worried that my ex is going to have more time with my kids all inexcusable to make mm-hmm. up for fake mm-hmm. violence. But this is like, you weren't getting enough money on, in your empire, you know, I know, checks? I know, and he's so talented. I only watched the first few episodes, but I remember thinking he was so talented, and I liked his cute little face, and now I think it's a smug little right. face. Like, it changed in my brain. I think that but you better like remember that face, because you ain't going to be seen on TV uh, anymore. Not anymore. Ugh. Our producer, Jeff, just came in and said one of the things that really bothers him about this is so many people now taking the opportunity to go see these people are all liars mm-hmm. well no that's not the case in fact very few people would lie about this or make it up and as Jeff pointed out the truth comes out and so right, if does. somebody's going to make up an allegation generally the truth will unwind like it did here and we will figure that out so let's give these victims the benefit, the benefit of, the, of doubt the doubt and say really, assume that it happened yes, why would anyone are, lie about that there are hate crimes yes. all the time 
and there are people being lynched and yes. hung and people are losing their sons. Horrible things are happening. Yes. But not to Jesse. Not to Jesse. <laughs> Danielle has been an amazing contributor to the It's Over Easy Insights blog. Uh, she's written two articles for us already. One is Navigating Loneliness and Life Stage Transitions. What's that one about? That one was a holiday one that I wrote because so many people really identified with that one, including myself. If you don't ha- if you're not a member of a conventional family. Right. I'm from a divorced family. Divorced after thirty years, thank you. My parents. Wow. So that was gnarly. Gnarly divorce. <laughs> really bad. And so it's, you know, deciding which parent to see the mm-hmm. whole thing and mm-hmm. just how what a loaded statement it is when people are asking what are you doing for Thanksgiving? What are you doing for New right. Year's? And that not everybody has the the you know the cut and dried answer right. to that, and that most people really more than not don't have that Norman Rockwell family existence, right. and they're from a family from divorced families right. or some sort of estrangement going on with siblings or a parent or they've had a loss recently or what if you've recently gone through a breakup or a divorce and it's your first holiday dealing it's just like it turn the knife a little bit pour some salt on that wound (laughs) it just doesn't help so that's what i was writing about at the holidays i thought that one was interesting and then this one i should probably read (laughs) self-awareness in the age of instant gratification right johnny tell us about this one that one oh it's just so timely and i wrote that because everyone is so caught up in the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in a high rise, so I look down and everyone is walking around With looking their down. Face in their phone. Their faces in their phone. And it used to be that you'd see people as you're walking down the street. You know, you run into people at a restaurant. The minute someone gets up from a table, people are back in their phone. Right. And sometimes they're on their phone and they're together. I've yes. seen people holding hands and they're on their phone. So it's about taking control of your device so it doesn't control you. You can put your texts on silent. Mine are on silent unless. It's, I'm on my way to you. And so it's on, so I right. can communicate. Otherwise, I don't need to know what you have to say right now. Right. I can look at it when I look at it, and it's not like I don't look at it enough. I don't need it pinging and pulling at me all the time, and I'm working. So um, it's about people really being self-aware and not continuing to let it run their life. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. I agree. I'm mm-hmm. so guilty of it, though. I'm such a perpetrator. <laughs> well, now you'll be self-aware yes, this week. Maybe. Well, maybe for the next hour we have it. Tell 20 us, minutes. Yeah. Give you 20 minutes. Tell us about your next book. I love the title. You do? Yes. Tell so, us. Okay. Tell, say the title of the, the next book. The title is Don't Call Me Crying From Your Bentley. That's right. And there's a reason for that title. I actually had an afternoon where four clients, actually three clients and a friend, all called. And they don't say car after they have a Bentley. They won't say car. It's like I'm getting the Bentley washed. I'm the Bentley. My dad has a Bentley. My dad has a Bentley. It's a blue one. He says, I'm taking in the Bentley. I'm like, Dad, I know what you drive. Right. You don't have to. Why are you trying to impress me? I don't care. So it's, and and the other one, he has a Mercedes, but he never says the Mercedes. It's just the The Bentley. Bentley. So these patients, clients, whatever you want to call them, called me crying from their Bentley. And by call number three of someone saying, I'm in the Bentley. (laughs) <laughs> and I need to talk. I was like, look, don't call me crying from your Bentley. Why don't you go home and we can do a phone session or come in here where we can have a, a real a session face to face where it's safe and you're not in the Bentley crying. Right. I think so, Bentley should figure out a way to get you right? to do an ad for them. This is <laughs> actually to. really good. Don't call me crying from your Bentley. So one of the clients is a comedian and mm-hmm. an actress and she just laughed and said, that should be the title of your next book. And I said, done. I love so it. So I've been working on that one and it's about a lot of my interactions with my clients and and what my clientele is like and some of it's funny and some of it's heartbreaking and all of the names are changed yes. to protect the not so innocent. <laughs> when so can we one. expect this? 2020. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a line of candles. 
There's a line of candles. They're recovery industry candles. But like I said, recovery is anything, whether it's from relationships. I have one that the scent is divorce detox. Oh, I like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And I have some that are uh, no fighting, no biting. I was burning mm-hmm. that in a couple session because they tend to argue. So right. You know, you know. Right. And it's like, you need to take a walk. You need to sit down. So it can be a situation. So I, my clients were noticing the smell of fig and amber and coconut and that it was very zen. Right. And I realized, you know, I'm going to start marketing these. So it's a fun thing to do. I, I like to have it. my creative soul doing things as well as, well as my my business. Where can we find those? Those aren't out yet. Those, those are, are 2020 those are, you, as well. We have to come to your office. Yes. Okay. Well, you'll get a divorce detox okay. candle for your desk Thank for you. sure. I of need course. That. Of course. All right. One of the reasons people tune into the Divorce Sucks podcast is to learn about family law, and we wouldn't want to disappoint everyone, anyone, never. (laughs) Um, Audience, your lesson for today is relevant to the discovery phase of litigation and concerns interrogatories, which are an integral tool used by attorneys during discovery to request information from one party or another. So, Danielle, are you ready for the Divorce Sucks interrogatories? Interrogatories. Okay. Interrogate me, Laura. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I may plead the fifth, but... Yes, so help me God. Okay. Are you married, divorced, or single? None of the above. I consider it taken. Okay. I am taken, taken with him. He's okay. taken with me, and it has been several years. So nice. Taken. I'm taken, too. Off I like the that. market. I'm say that now, Taken. Too. All right. And what's your favorite breakup song? Oh. I will survive. Gloria Gaynor. Right? Yes. Gloria Gaynor. I have one. two. I have two. How about The Warrior? Yes. Scandal, like oh, Patty Smythe. Yes. Shooting at the walls one. of heartache. Yes. That's the good one. That's mm-hmm. a very good one. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to cheer up a friend, not necessarily a client or patient, it may be the same, mm-hmm. but a friend that's going through a breakup? I would say better to have loved and lost than to have lived with a psychopath the rest of your life. <laughs> I think I have a button that says <laughs> I have a magnet. I, I, sadly, I gave it to my mother during the divorce. But yes. Mm-hmm. And um, which rom-com could you watch on repeat? Some kind of wonderful. Oh, love. Eric Stoltz. Love. Yes. The earrings. The earrings. The the drumming. Yes. All of it. The painting of her. Just some kind of wonderful. That's a good one. That's a good one for our age. I love it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, here's another tidbit of legal information for you listeners out there in regards to divorce. If you and your spouse can agree ahead of time on such basics as custody and support, you can lower your legal fees significantly. Remember, the more acrimony, argument, and angst, the more money your attorney makes. The author, interventionist, and crisis counselor, Dr. Danielle Delaney, is our guest today. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us on Divorce Sucks. Thank you for the autographed copy of your must-read book, Expect Delays. Folks, you can win this by following us at It's Over Easy and telling us why you want to read it. Please tell people how we can stay up to date with you and where to find you on social media. Well, you can find me all over social media. Um, first, my website is DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com. Okay. Uh, my Instagram is at Danny Delaney. That's D-A-N-I-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. And my Twitter is at It's Danny Delaney. So you can find me on all of those and also Facebook. Um, let's see, Facebook.com, Danielle.Delaney, LinkedIn. I'm on all of that stuff. Check her out. Um, we appreciate you guys listening and we want your feedback. So please tap review and share your thoughts about today's episode of Divorce Sucks before or after you hit five stars. I'm Laura Wasser. I'm looking forward to chatting again with you next week. Dr. Delaney, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. 